systems are offline. You're listening to Sky Sauce Podcast Network. Even the other stations are tuned in too. here talking to Barry Fitzgerald, who is the co-creator and co-writer of a show that is coming to Skysoft soon, American Malice. It was recently announced. So Barry, thank you so much for joining me here today. It's great to be here with you. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, start off with a, a fairly simple one here. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, where are you from? What do you do? What are your hobbies? That sort of thing. Well, I originally grew up in... Uh in Connecticut. Um, I have a BA in sociology focused on revolutionary movements and state collapse scenarios. Uh, Mm -hmm. I have a career in uh, technology, primarily AI, uh, analytics, big data, uh, analysis, cybersecurity, that kind of thing. Um, So my background is actually pretty varied. I mean, you have the humanities aspect right there, and you also have uh, technological macroeconomics in there. Um, personal interest in politics, particularly revolutionary politics. Um, mm-hmm. And so um, my special interests really delve into a gamut of those things and, and cross those things. I like watching political media. I like uh, uh, keeping up with the news and analyzing mm-hmm. the events of today. But I'm also a bit of a, a, bit of a movie file and uh, <laughs> really get into mm-hmm. analyzing things like uh, media, TV, etc. And um, I have a little acting background in my past. Uh, nothing nice. official, but uh, a little acting training from when I was in high school. So uh, I'm a fairly cross-disciplinary person. Uh, I do like going mm-hmm. to concerts. I've been in several bands in the past. Uh, you know, do a little singing here and there, mostly karaoke. You know, <laughs> you know me from you know you, you know anyway that I do. You know, yes. you know that. So. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but also, you know, a little, little of that acting background, and, and um, do a little writing on the side, and have been so, yeah. so, um, you know, kind of all over the place. Video gaming, you know, living here in San Diego <laughs> now for uh, well, since uh, November twenty eleven. Uh, okay. And uh, you can't really go wrong with the weather here, right? In the kind of environment. No, so. can't. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm kind of curious because. Um... You know, I know at least in in terms of my educational journey, uh, I was a BA in psychology, but I chose that mainly because I didn't want to go to college um, undeclared, you know. So people Mm -hmm. were telling me, like, well, just pick, like, what was your favorite class in high school? And I was like, well, I really love psychology, so I guess I'll major in that. But, you know, with a major, with a BA as specific as yours, like, is this something that you knew that you wanted to pursue for for a long time or did it come to you towards like the end of your your high school experience like tell us a little bit more about that right so it's kind of interesting um in high school i was a bit of a hacker and oh okay. uh, yeah I, I helped run internet service providers and did some security work and things like that and this is back in the 1990s when it was all bulletin board systems and aol and and it, it but you know a lot of people got their internet access at that time from these mm-hmm, smaller mm-hmm. local run outfits that had their own their own software that they ran. So I, I did a lot of work with that. Um, I got really into programming in high school and things like that. And so um, 
when I went to college, I entered college having already known six programming languages, already having worked on wow. uh, and set up internet services and things like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, there was a lot of um, polish that I could do there, but I basically came in, you know, being kind of ahead of the rest of the class and um, just got really kind of disenchanted with the whole process. I think when you're going to college because somebody else tells you to go to college, or it says that this is what you should do, right? There's always kind mm-hmm. of a little bit more of a, an apprehension involved in what you're doing. And I think college, is for me anyway, college was that time where I started to become aware that, okay, I can take my own direction. I can do my own mm-hmm. thing. And so I spent the first year chasing a computer sciences and engineering degree and mm-hmm. thinking, okay, I'm going to turn this into a career. And... Towards the end of that year, uh, this is, of course, in the mid-1990s, and so you could literally walk into an insurance company in Connecticut or a software company in Connecticut and grab a job off the job tree. There were so wow. many jobs at that point in time. And like I was being offered a job doing web development at that time for $95 an hour in 1998. Jeez. I mean, like, so, yeah. and I had friends in the industry, and they were all saying, dude, you should, there's no reason to do a college degree on this. You can get into it with everything that you know right now. And five mm-hmm. years of experience is equivalent to a degree and yada, yada, yada. And so mm-hmm. that second semester, I really kind of went through a um, kind of a, like a crisis, I'm going to say. I'm going to say it was a mm. little crisis. I was not engaged. And I realized I was just doing the wrong thing. And so I did something similar. I went undecided for a couple oh, semesters. Okay. And... The first semester out, I took a social problems class, a sociology 115. And mm-hmm. it was basically a class where we sat down and we just tried to solve social problems. We'd get an introduction, we'd get broken down into groups, and we'd say, okay, use these concepts that you've, uh, you've learned from the class and try to solve this social problem. And I found out that I was actually pretty good at it. Um, we were, uh, every time we kind of, created a team I was winding up kind of like leading the team's direction and um, mm-hmm. at that point my professor uh, Dr. Cody she said uh, you know she recommended to me after a few weeks of this you should really consider doing sociology and, and kind of looking into it and so at that point I started looking into it and I realized sociology is really the study of everything and I was kind of it interested is. in everything and so mm-hmm. that was what drove that and once I got into sociology the next class I took was class powers and inequality and <clears throat> what I realized was that on top of being everything it was about figuring out the structure of how everything worked mm-hmm. how everything fit together in mm-hmm. our society mm-hmm. and from uh, at that point that's when I got really into revolutionary history because of course revolutionary history are the flashpoints at which yeah all things are, are most documented, most most realized. And so these points where societies collapse and then are reformed, it became a, a, a very big spe- special interest to me. And, and that meant also digging into something that I was always very interested in prior to that, which was extremist groups, radicalized mm-hmm. groups, and figuring out their patterns and how they operate, what motivates and drives mm-hmm. them to do the things that they do so that we could better predict the events that would create social change. That's that's quite a, a journey that you took there. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing that with us. Not a problem. Uh, uh, so go ahead and tell us now how you got started with Skysoft. How did you get involved with uh, with all of us here? The real genesis to my involvement with Skysoft started with uh, helping you guys out with the last Fox premiere. Um, mm-hmm. I came in and did a little computer work for you guys, as well as helped you guys run the, the show. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> I had not been super familiar with the work. Um, prior to that and sat there and watched Mm -hmm. and really enjoyed that last season of Fox. And uh, during that, I think I just, I gelled so well with everybody and, um, you know, and this is kind of going to kind of break into what prompted me to write the first version of American Malice. Mm -hmm. Um, Watching the show, I, I, I just, I saw a lot of potential in the actors and in particular uh monroe mm-hmm. her acting prowess and her facial expressions and just her her intensity and power um yeah really kind of reminded me of the kind of intensity and power that i saw when i saw a really successful female empowerment horror you know like mm-hmm. um and this was the the thing i was just watching her act and, and watching the intensity and said, wow, you know, she would be really great and, and as a, you know, kind of a protagonist in one of these reversal horror kind of, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. suspense kind of things like, you know, Day of the Woman, et cetera, that kind of thing. And yeah. And um, in, the, in the after party, when everybody was mingling after the presentation had been done, uh, I just kind of floated the idea, and um, one thing led to the other. I love it. I love that origin story there. And, and I'm glad you kind of brought that up. That was my next question. You know, American Malice is labeled as a horror slash thriller, mm-hmm. um, and that's something that Skysoft hasn't really delved into like as a, as a main focus. You know, maybe there were some horror or thriller elements in some of the things that we've done, but this is like the first show that's specifically in that genre so um you said that you're a cinephile yourself that you're a movie file yourself i do so you know what are some of your favorite horror or thriller films and and why are they your favorites Ooh, um it's really hard to pick you know of course you have to say (laughs) so many good ones right oh you've got alien of course is up there um the Mm -hmm. original alien you know of course everybody likes aliens i think a little bit more because it's action but the original Alien, I think, I think Ridley Scott really captured the horror of a new biological entity, and I think that the setting mm-hmm. and the environment for it really was groundbreaking. And, and of course, everybody likes it. It's, I've got to mention it: the scene, the chest burster scene, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And uh, one mm-hmm. of the things that I always loved about that was just that you know one of the little tidbits about that was it was improv. Right. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they didn't tell them what was going to happen. That's just their reaction. And so I, yep. I really love that. Um, that's up there. Um, the Thing. I'm really big into John Carpenter. Um, ah, yeah, yeah. The Thing is, of course, another classic horror movie that, you know, really delves with identity and, and uh, delves into identity and trust. And I mm-hmm. love the ambiguous ending. Um, I could I could just put The Thing on and watch it. And that includes the the uh, the. So it wasn't really a remake. It was more of a prequel, right? That occurred in the mm. mid two thousands. I really like that version too. But, but I also get mm. into uh, I get into some some, uh, you know, 
custom made. Like I used to watch VHS a lot and, you know, found oh, footage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Blair Witch, I think, is underrated in some ways just because of the way it mm-hmm. was done. Um, you know, um, I don't really get into the... Like, I like The Ring. I like The Grudge. I like anything that's a little creepy. But I don't really get into, like insidious and anything's a little too goofy i can enjoy it but i really want to see um people put into odd situations that stress them out that make them um have to reflect on who they are what they're doing to have to make hard choices um again i think this goes back to the sociology thing right like I'm really interested in what makes people tick. And so mm-hmm. for me, the horror movies that are sort of my favorite tend to revolve around that psychological aspect. Yeah. So, you know, as someone that's very, um, very into these types of movies, uh, why do you think this genre works for American Malice? Well, I think that... It works really well because it's it's topical. Fundamentally, American Malice mm. revolves around um, the current political environment that we live in, um, mm-hmm. kind of in a, a slightly fictionalized way, uh, so that we can deal with it a little bit better, a little bit more um, without some of the uh, bias that we have in our current environment, right? I mean, it's part of the reason mm-hmm. of making it a horror type of situation is to to kind of let it live in its own world. And at the same time, we are living in a bit of a horror movie right now. There's Hmm. the pandemic, which is um, not a big Mm -hmm. theme in American Malice. We we began working on American Malice back in uh, late 2019. And Mm -hmm. of course, that's before the pandemic even came out, even uh, in China. And um, Mm -hmm. at that point, the focus was uh, I was watching the growth of right-wing extremist groups, and to mm-hmm. me, having studied revolutionary movements and state collapse and seeing what can only be described as a fascist movement um, growing in the United States, uh, which is something that I've been talking about for a long period of time, having infiltrated fascist groups and seeing their plans mm-hmm. and seeing this all come to fruition, people who've been reading my private work on this for a while, you know, can tell you that I've been calling this out for a long time. And so, yeah. in in my opinion, there is no other way to present this other than a form of horror, mm. a form of suspense mm-hmm. and thriller. Because if, if we're going to understand what's happening and treat it, it is horror. It, it, we are currently in a state of horror. And, yeah. and, um, and if you have to be fair about that too. That's one thing I want to say about that is that you can't just write as black and white villains in this case, because mm-hmm, I th- mm-hmm. think what makes this kind of horror interesting is that you have to take into account. It's not a monster. The monster is the person, the monster is humanity and the monster is the tendency mm-hmm. in humanity to, uh, go into directions that are a little bit more, fraught that, that are beyond what they would normally go into based on the strains that motivate them. Yeah. Thank you for, for that deep dive. Yeah. I mean, 
I definitely have always appreciated about you. Like you're very um, uh, concise and also clear way of kind of explaining these things that maybe uh, can be a little difficult to comprehend sometimes just because um, they just seem so extreme or so uh, out of nowhere. But, you know, as someone who has studied these movements and who kind of knows a little bit more about them, you know, and like you said, you've been kind of um, following this for a while and kind of noting some of these things that have been worrying you and things to watch out for. And, you know, here we are today. So, and I think um, the way that you and Monroe handle this topic is going to be, uh, you know, very well balanced, like you said, but also very aware of the dangers and the horrors that we're living through right now. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about this project here. Very cool. Um, uh, another thing that I'm excited about, you know, the main character of American Malice is asexual, yeah. which I appreciate because as an asexual myself, you know, I've noticed that aces are very rarely shown in the media. And if they are, they're often either misconstrued or misunderstood. Uh, so my question to you is what made you want to focus on an asexual character and did you learn anything more about asexuality as you were creating this character? Yeah. Uh, so it didn't start out that way. It started out somewhat ambiguous. Mm-hmm. We've, um, you know, my original conceptualization of the character had a bit of a, uh, a more traditional style arc. And as we continued developing the character and the work, um, the nature of the work started to change to the point where we were saying, okay, we're delving a little bit more into the backstory of what made Melissa, 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 the, the protagonist in the, the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of being a kind of traditional empowerment horror movie, we began looking at the idea of what if we start a little bit later in the process? What if we mm. talk about what happens to make somebody... Um, become sort of an avenging angel and mm-hmm. what happens to to their their lives what creates the environment and we decided in this case that the right way to write her as a character was to make her asexual to mm-hmm. to say look this is not the motivation in this particular case that this is a deeper uh, a deeper thing you know that not everything revolves around sexuality that there are uh, components to her as a character that played well with the asexual um, uh, representation aspect. Um, mm-hmm. And and it gave us a little more room, I think, to write outside of the traditional narrative. Mm-hmm. And I would say that in researching for this character, um, what I personally have learned a bit about asexuality. It's not something I had really spent any time looking into in the past. Well, mm-hmm. was really about the um, the various striations of what what you know the different yeah. experience of asexuality for different people. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a it's an extremely varied thing. Um, it I think has a lot to do with um, the personal relationships that people feel for each other, and mm-hmm. and again the various striations of those and 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 I think that that. Um, I think a lot of people tend to make asexuality sort of a two-dimensional thing. It means you're not you're not into affection or anything like that, and and I think that that kind of two-dimensional perspective on characters 
um, it tends to make them you know blunt archetypes, right? And I'm not interested mm-hmm. in writing a blunt archetype. I want to write somebody who's got some, you know, maybe subverts people's expectations and and yeah. where there's uh, a strong layer of complexity in their interactions with other people. And I think mm-hmm. for me, Monroe is also involved in the asexuality decision here. So I want to give mm-hmm. her, let her give her perspective. I want to speak to that. But for me, it really works because of being able to kind of do that subversion of expectations and, and it works really well with the character. And I mean, just um, so that we can clarify for those that may not know, like, now that you've done this research, now that you know more about it, can you, you know, explain um, what asexuality means? Like, what does it mean for this character, for for Melissa? I think that might be delving a little bit too much into the um, into some of the later parts of the work that we're doing. So I, I think I'm going to demure. No spoilers. A bit on no, that spoilers. One. no spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I guess I'll just say, like, in case people are still unaware of, you know, what we mean when we're talking about asexuality, we're talking about people who are not uh, sexually attracted to others. So, like Barry was saying, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's no romantic attractions. There are people that are also not romantically interested in anyone, and that is under that spectrum, and that would be labeled as aromantic, which is you know, still within that um, that group, that um, branch of asexuality. So, so yeah, it's uh, I highly recommend that you all you know look into it if you're curious and want to know more. But just as like a general um, explanation, it just means yeah that there's no uh, sexual attraction to anyone. So that's what that means. Um, I kind of wanted to ask you a little bit about. Uh, this whole process, you know, you said you've done some writing on the side before, mm-hmm. but if not mistaken, this is your first time actually writing a screenplay, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what was that process like? And then do you have any advice for aspiring screenwriters? So I, I, I got really lucky because Monroe <laughs> has been a great teacher and, um, she's been extraordinarily, uh, helpful and accepting of different roles we just have a great collaborative relationship and when mm-hmm. we get collaborating the, the the ideas just start to roll out and and she's really she's really great at, at being gentle <laughs> about the criticism like <laughs> put it that way mm-hmm. um <clears throat> so i got lucky uh, i have a great mentor um now for me the the collaborative process though i, I did start it on my own we started doing a treatment back in late 2019 and mm-hmm. from the perspective of, of writing the initial treatment of the script, um, it was it was you know personal research. I went out on the internet and I found there's there's tutorials out there that you can look into. There are samples. I read several treatments that are publicly available for major uh, major works like uh, Terminator and things like that. And so w- mm-hmm. what I do um, when I'm when I'm working on my writing process is essentially um, I try to get myself in a zone. I try to collect uh, some information um, that inspires me. I, I, I write something about the character or about the story that I'm trying to write, and then I use mm-hmm. that as kind of a mental seed. 
is how I do it. And then I kind of build around that. Um, I think other writers, and sometimes I'll do this too, we'll just do uh, kind of a free flow writing type of scenario. They get an idea, something they want to write about in their head, and then they just endlessly write about it. And then they pick and choose what they want to take afterwards in the editing process. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll do that. Um, there's some components of, of American Malice that were written that way. But overall, yeah. I, I, I personally prefer a little bit more of a structured uh, idea where I write kind of a, a timeline and, and create a lot of backstory and, and kind of see mm-hmm. the motivation of where the characters would go in different circumstances based on their, their history. And, mm-hmm. and so for me, initially writing the, writing the first treatment, the first thing I did was I identified the number of characters I wanted to work with. I mm-hmm. gave them some backstory I gave them uh, motivations, and then I just kind of said, okay, where do we want to go? How are these characters going to relate? What are their motivations going to be, and what situations can we put them in? And mm-hmm. um, I kind of went from there, working backwards from the end result that I wanted. What would you say was like the most challenging part of writing a screenplay? Getting it, getting it started. I mean, I think that <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I th- anybody who's watched The Shining, which again is another another one of those ah, classic yeah. uh, horror movies mm-hmm. that I really like, can attest to the problems of writing. Right. Well, in the past year, I mean, there's been kind of a special problem, which is just everything yeah. going on around us. I mean, it's very hard to get mm-hmm. into the mode of saying I want to live in a um, in a fictional world and write about real world mm-hmm. topics when the real world mm-hmm. is is probably the most interesting <laughs> real world that we've ever lived in yeah and yeah. uh and and it's a little terrifying in and of its own right so it's been it's it also kind of changes the tenor of what we're working with because it's it's topically contextual right so um mm-hmm. i mean a lot of the things when i started writing uh american malice back in 2019 my focus was right-wing groups based off of proto-fascist groups like the Proud Boys and, and uh, you know, the Oath Keepers and whatnot. And sort mm-hmm. of their structures mm-hmm. were part of the fabric of writing the antagonists in it. And then, of course, since then, we've seen these things actually materialize. So that mm-hmm. influences a little bit how you think about things. It's also, it's you know, when you're a person like me, it's it's a little bit of a... Um, information overload flashpoint right so staying yeah. staying focused i think is a, is a critical thing that's difficult sometimes for people and I, my advice for people is um just sit down and start trying to do something with it if you can sometimes it's just not going to yeah. work but yeah you know if that's you know different writers have different problems but focus is, is one of the challenges i think in sitting down mm-hmm. and writing mm-hmm. something but also that getting started and what I found was that, okay, the first couple days I started writing the treatment, you know, you can your head can go off in all kinds of different directions with the idea of what the story can be. Mm-hmm. But the story is going to be the thing that it's going to become, right? It, 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 you have to pick a path at some point. And so what I did was, after a couple days of just going back and forth with different ideas... Yeah, you know what I said was okay. I'm going to pick a path. I'm just going to start going with it. And once I started writing that, mm. everything started kind of flowing. Yeah. So, like you said, just getting that initial motivation to start um, and to push past that. Yeah. 
one thing that I'm always uh, intrigued about and curious about is uh, the titles. So, like, how did you and Monroe end up coming to this title of American Malice? Well, when we were talking about it, I think uh, fundamentally, I want to I want to say Monroe was the person who finally made the decision to say, okay, we need to go in a different direction. Originally, the original title was um, The Incel. We were initially looking mm. at it from the perspective. Initially, I wanted to kind of focus it on the relationship, initially focus on the relationship between the antagonist and the protagonist. Mm. But in writing this, we decided that that was not the right, you know, right way to go. We wanted to kind of focus on the protagonist a little bit more and... Um, not just as a juxtaposition, um, but rather, you know, since the conceptualization for what we were dealing with um, mm-hmm. changed, the the it became apparent um, that uh, her original moniker, her original online moniker, which became the impetus for her becoming kind of this avenging angel, was Melissa, like Malice Dash A, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and yeah. It's sort of playing words of her name, Melissa, and mm-hmm. that was the origin of the American Malice thing. And and as the year progressed, uh. um, it became clear that we were not just writing about characters; we were writing about events that were occurring in abstract in our society. And mm-hmm. you know, you have these concepts like American Carnage and whatnot. And you have yeah, the yeah. events that we're going through really are American malice on some degree. Mm-hmm. And, and so mm-hmm. so it seemed to work. It conceptually worked really well with what we're dealing with. And I think it appropriately expands the concept. Wow. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. And I... It, it was one of those, you know, how like on the internet, they're like, I was today years old when, <laughs> um, <laughs> when, when I realized that like, uh, Melissa was malice. I was like, oh my God. Uh-huh. It's like, I love it. I love it. It's just so clever. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, so you, you've spoken about this a little bit throughout this episode, but I wanted to give you just like, uh, a chance to talk a little bit more about it if you want. Uh, you know, you co wrote this with Monroe Hayden, who's like, you know, instrumental in, in Skysoft and in a lot of the works that Skysoft has featured. So what was it like to work with her on this project specifically? Oh, it's been fantastic. Um, I think we have in particular have a, a rapport with regards to our creative style mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is, um, I think, you know, of course, like any two creative people, we clash in some directions, right? With regards <laughs> to style, which is, mm-hmm. which is good. That's what you want. I mean, yeah. I mean, clash is yeah. what creates um, growth and, um, but it, it, she's she's extremely um, assertive with regards mm-hmm. to ideas and but without being aggressive about it and and I mm-hmm. think that's exactly mm-hmm. the kind of thing that you want when you're dealing with the creation of a new work and you're learning and you have somebody like myself who doesn't have as much experience as she does in the industry and yeah. uh, it's been it's been fantastic. Um, She's, she's very hands-off when it comes to the direction. Um, initially, I think we were, you know, it was more of a, okay, feedback-oriented. And then as we became mm-hmm. more collaborative, mm-hmm. it became more of a, you know, 
writer's room kind of negotiation of ideas. Mm. And so I would say that um, in in the process of that kind of thing, I've, I've learned a lot uh, about the creative process and I've learned a lot about um, the process of distilling ideas into script. And, um, yeah. and so I, you know, it, it's just, it's been a fantastic relationship, I would say. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that. And yeah, it's, it comes as no surprise to me. Uh, and I know that, you know, you just said that you're a movie buff. I know she's a movie buff herself. Uh, I'm sure there were plenty of like uh, tangential conversations about just like your favorite horror movies and what it's like to to experience a horror movie to to watch it to soak it in to get fooled by the twist to get scared you know by all these sort of things so that must have been fun too oh we've spent hours and hours and hours and talking about those things <laughs> it's it's we become really great friends and it's just it's it's one of the things Monroe is one of the people who helped me make it through this year and I just can't say enough good things I really can't yeah same definitely same um again you kind of like touched on this uh, a few times throughout this conversation but again if you want to delve a little bit more into it what were some of your biggest inspirations for for this story monroe number one just her acting <laughs> um but also you know my appreciation for uh female empowerment in general and mm-hmm. female empowerment mm-hmm. horror um you know I think that initially that was the seed, as I talked about before, with regards to creating the idea. And initially it had a little more of a, you know, uh, uh, one of the things I really wanted to write about that I had not had a chance to write about uh, with my political writings, which focused more on the the dangers of proto-fascist groups. Having spent a lot of time in those circles um, and having befriended over the years a number of proto-fascists or or outright fascists, Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and made enemies with more than a few of them, too. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that concerns me about how we talk about these things is that we we don't... We kind of cartoonize the people in these movements into um, kind of two-dimensional figures of hate, which is it's very easy to do because yeah, that's how they present yeah. themselves very quite often. But mm-hmm. just like anybody else, they have their own series of, of uh, complexities. Not every proto-fascist that I ever met was just outright just for hate. And many of them mm-hmm. feel disenfranchised. I mean, the, the core of the incel movement, the original, I don't want to give too anything away on the plot here, but the, the core of the incel movement fundamentally comes down to people not getting... Um, some of the acceptance in society that they feel that they need. And while we yeah, can yeah. definitely look at that and say their expectations are, are wrong, mm-hmm. if, if you want to treat the people seriously and you want to understand where the stuff comes from, you have to understand that some people are just aggressive, some people are just awful, and there are a yeah. lot of other people who are in bad circumstances or who have not had the opportunity to have stability and who are, mm-hmm. or who are brought into these movements, particularly online, because they're vulnerable, because they think they mm-hmm. will empower them. And, mm-hmm. and I wanted to write something that dealt with the mechanism for how these people are recruited, the mechanism mm. for what kind of relationships they have with each other, and how they interact mm-hmm. with the people who are opposing them, and the, the 
yeah. the, the various striations. Because just like anybody else, I mean, we can look at these groups and say, well, everybody involved with them is awful or everybody involved with them is violent. But the reality is that if you put that same person in a different situation, maybe you wouldn't know. And that's, I think, yeah. to me, that's, yeah. that's, one of the, that's one of the most empowering and scary things about it. Yes, because yeah. Because the person who you regularly interact with could be part of a fascist group and you could not know it because mm -hmm. in your understanding of them they may be completely and totally rational and nice and decent but yeah i mean yeah. in the past year how often have we seen people either with regards to the pandemic or the current political state of the country who we originally mm -hmm. were, were like oh we really like this person and they're really great and and then all of a sudden it's like oh you think you think yeah. we should go out and kill a million Americans because you, you know, you have a conflict of some kind or you think that it mm -hmm. should be a certain way. And, and I think that a lot mm -hmm. of us are going through that right now. And so, yeah, that's where it started. And that's, uh, you know, for me, I think one of the challenges is, OK, we, we began writing this concept, but now it's very much out in the zeitgeist. And mm -hmm. <laughs> how, do you, yeah. how do you compete with reality? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got a few more questions here for you. Um, my next question here for you is, how do you think this story fits into the kinds of stories that Skysoft has already told? Well, I think that um, Skysoft's stable largely revolves around um, telling the human story, and in particular, mm -hmm. the diverse human story. And, mm -hmm. and I think that with the treatment that we give to the various people, not just with Melissa being asexual, but also the various framings of the other characters. We try to give mm -hmm, everybody mm -hmm. a human treatment in this and, and yes. their own motivations and, and appreciate their diversity and the, the reasons for how that they are who they are. And I think mm -hmm. that, that that fits well with, I think, the primary motivating factor for Skysop's work, which is appreciating the human. I love the way you put that. That just... Uh... You know, I think it's something that I knew all along, but didn't know how quite to put it into words. So I'm glad that you were able to do that so well. Awesome. But yeah, just awesome. telling a, a, a human story. Yep. And what does it mean to be human? You know, there are different perspectives that come from people because they grew up in different situations. They have different cultural backgrounds, uh, all that sort of stuff. But that's still all part of, you know, the the human experience. So. Mm -hmm. I, I really like that. Uh, thank you so much for saying it that way. <laughs> Always glad. Um, Always glad. Yeah. And has this whole experience made you want to write some more? Like, do you have any other ideas for potential future stories? I do. I do. Um, it's nice. interesting because we're doing a serial here. Initially, I kind of um, envisioned this as a movie. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I've been kind of ensconcing myself in other horror or other oddball work. I think that this works perfectly as a serial. I think that was always the right way to go. But I don't want to get too deep into some of the ideas. I definitely want to get <laughs> of into course, um, of course. A, a little science fiction or maybe a little bit of okay. human drama. Um, but mm -hmm. um, I'm definitely thinking more along the lines of experimental type of media, ah. uh, things that kind of play with your your perception of reality i've been at the behest Ooh. of a friend recently i've been watching twin peaks which which didn't really mm -hmm. um 
I just finished the third season, actually, and I'm going back and nice. kind of like putting it on in the background. I like to do that a lot. I'll put something on in the background while I'm doing other things. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, and I kind of... Another part of the human experience. <laughs> totally, totally. And it, But what I find is like if I watch something several times over, um, mm-hmm. you know, it will it will basically you know, I'll pick up. You know, that that's kind of what I'm thinking about with regards to other things that I'm looking to write is, you know, what is the nature of human sanity and insanity in spring? Wow. And, yeah. and where can that lead us as people? Where can we learn from that? And so. Ooh, ooh, ooh. You have certainly piqued my interest for sure. <laughs> cool, cool. Uh, as a psychology major, like I said, uh, that's definitely stuff that's super fascinating to me is thinking about like metacognition, like mm-hmm. uh, why we think the way we think and all that sort of stuff is just always just insane like you could spend days just like trying to figure stuff out and it's just it just makes you marvel at the fact that we have this brain that can do so much and a lot of it it does on autopilot like that in itself is just wild to think about so yes uh very curious indeed ah well barry you know uh that you and i could talk for hours and hours totally (laughs) (laughs) but unfortunately that's all the time we have for this episode um thank you again for your time i really appreciate you being here and chatting with us and giving us a little bit of insight into american malice thank you thank you it's been a pleasure Mm -hmm. and i look forward to our next chat me too (laughs) Uh, as a reminder this podcast is available on itunes stitcher google podcasts and spotify just search for skysoft and you'll find this there So please make sure to subscribe to us on all of those platforms so you never miss an episode and rate and review us. And of course, for all things Skysoft, including full episodes, cast and show info, and other updates, be sure to check out skysoftentertainment.com. Once again, that's skysoftentertainment.com.